Today on Ag News Daily. So we use a, a specific kind of infrared to warm the animals up and keep their core body temperature in the safe zone. And, you know, we thought about other ways that we could take, you know, kind of the products of sunlight. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's a Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, and I am certainly excited to talk some news as I was out yesterday, but I am joined by Delaney Howell today. Thankfully, she didn't try to pull a me on me and ditch me for the day. I could have. I, I will. I'll just hop off right now, Ashton. How about that? <laughs> okay. I think I might be able to take the reins, but I don't know if I'm as good as you as being a, a solo host, but we could try it out one of these days. It's a little challenging. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. But I think that you do it well. Thank you. I do my best. I try to keep it as exciting as possible, you know, having a one person monologue, but I guess I could have my dog on it with me next time you're out. Oh, yeah. I bet that he or she would have some really good insight. Mm -hmm. Yep. He'd probably bark for us and that's about it. <laughs> well, Delaney, I want to talk about some things really quickly that I might have missed yesterday, but I wanted to talk about the COVID-19 vaccine. And I woke up this morning to a notification from Twitter that the first person in the UK got their vaccine today. It was an elderly woman. And so hopefully we'll start seeing more folks get those vaccines here soon. But I wanted to talk about the vaccine here in the U.S. A lot of folks are having, of course, some inquiries about who was going to get it first and really who is considered an essential worker because, you know, states are trying to get essential workers to the front lines and get that vaccine as soon as possible. But I am thinking that, or not really thinking, but a lot of people are, are thinking that it's going to be up to the states on who is considered essential workers. And with that being said, I wanted to just quickly talk about North Carolina because they have come out with one of the most detailed distribution plans. And that plan is uh, nearly 150 pages. Workers in meatpacking, seafood, poultry, and food processing, transportation, and retail would be included in an early phase as long as they had at least two chronic conditions that put them at high risk. And meanwhile, Pennsylvania's distrib distribution plan on the other hand, only includes three pages stating merely that, quote, contributing to the maintenance of core social functions or societal functions, I should say, would be prioritized. So I haven't really seen a plan as of yet for Texas. I don't think I would be considered an essential worker since I just work from home, but I'm excited to see what other states have to say. Did you say that plan was 150 pages long? Yes, 150 pages. That should be your next assignment, Ashton, is to sit there and read through it all. Well, you know, I don't think I'll be visiting North Carolina very <laughs> soon, but if any of our North Carolina listeners would like me to do that, you know, you can just send me a note on Twitter and I might get back to you. I don't you can know. skim it. How about that? Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll just skim that 150 pages. It'll probably <laughs> take me just a quick minute. Yeah. Probably, but I've got some other protein industry related news as well this time. Nothing to do with COVID-19, thankfully, but 
Following up with our price-fixing scandals that we continue to watch across multiple protein industries, we're now seeing the first restaurant sue poultry producers over alleged price-fixing. Chick-fil-A is claiming that poultry producers are bid-rigging their bids to the company, and in which case this has led Chick-fil-A to paying billions of dollars in artificially inflated prices for broiler chickens, according to this lawsuit, which was filed in federal court in Illinois. The company's complaint follows, of course, the criminal indictments of 10 different poultry executives by the Justice Department against Pilgrim's Pride to pay $110.5 million in fines to settle these price-fixing allegations. And now Chick-fil-A is saying that they are joining um, Tice, excuse me, they are joining more than a dozen producers being sued in an ongoing civil case that Chick-fil-A joins. So Tyson is part of this lawsuit that Chick-fil-A is filing against, as well as, I believe, Pilgrim's Pride and a few other poultry companies as well. Well, Delaney, I want to talk about American Farm Bureau here for a minute because they have been in the headlines a lot recently, you know, talking about the Dean Foods issue and a couple of other things. But I want to talk about Zippy Duval saying that he's talked with the head of the Biden administration's ag transition team about the importance of trade for farmers and how that will affect the need for more government aid. Duval says that he told Robert Bonney they understand it's not realistic to expect the same large amounts of government aid for farmers next year and the importance of carrying on negotiations at the trade table. And he was quoted as saying, because we definitely see from the phase one China agreement and all the purchases that China has made, what a positive influence it's had on commodity prices for the last couple of months. Duval added that farmers would always rather have trade instead of aid, but says that trade negotiations take a long time to develop, which is something that we're probably a little bit familiar with talking about trade so much here on the podcast, but definitely thought it was interesting because trade and government aid have been big topics of discussion lately. Yeah, they certainly have. And I was just reading something earlier today that is suggesting that um, Marsha Fudge, who we've talked about a little bit on the podcast before, is definitely being considered for a cabinet position, but it doesn't seem that she is being considered for the Secretary of Agriculture position. Recent rumors on the pipeline are saying that Vilsack is actually emerging as a top Biden candidate for Secretary of Agriculture. And I'm gonna have to do a little research, but he may be the first. I don't wanna I don't wanna jump on this, but I, I'm unaware, at least in the short-term history of any folks who have served under two different administrations as Secretary of Agriculture. He might be one of the first, if not one of the most recent to do that twice. So again, just a rumor, it's speculation, but uh, just thought that was a little interesting piece of news, especially, you know, folks in Iowa, he was former governor of Iowa. So I always keep my ear to the ground, especially for folks like that. But another thing I'm keeping my ear to the ground on Ashen is South American weather, getting some mixed reviews out of various news and weather organizations. 
Overall, it sounds like Brazil and Argentina are pretty close to being finished as far as planting goes. The question that lingers, though, between a few different news organizations is just how much rain they're getting. And is this rain enough to make or break the crop as of yet? Ag Rural is saying that Brazil is getting some much needed rain here the first week of December into this week after some prolonged dry spells in southern Brazil. But then we're seeing Stonex report that the 10-day forecast is drier in Brazil and southern, excuse me, in southern Brazil and Argentina, um, anticipating to get, you know, short bursts of rain here in the one to five day weather area and six to 15 days seeing a lot more rain. So we're seeing a little bit of mixed reviews on whether or not we will see this rain and if so, at what point. But uh, the news wires are definitely picking up on this story. I'll tell you what. Well, Delaney, it sounds like we might have to have someone come on and talk about the weather. We haven't really had a weather related podcast in quite a bit. Yeah, I'm thinking, too, we need to find somebody we can talk to that has a little more ties, I suppose, to uh, South America. So let's put our thinking caps on for that one. Well, you heard it here first, folks. If you know of anyone or you are someone that can help us out with that, please send us a note on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. But Delaney, I just have one other piece of news for today, talking about carbon sequestration, which is definitely something that we have been seeing a lot of in the headlines. And the latest company to come out with a carbon program, I suppose I should say, is Nutrient Ag Solutions. They launched a comprehensive carbon program to help growers improve sustainability and productivity. Mike Frank, who is the CEO of retail at Nutrient Ag Solutions, says the program is an opportunity for growers to get rewarded for practices that are already doing or could be doing in the future. And he was quoted as saying, we believe these practices can drive an average about one to two tons per acre of improvement from an overall carbon standpoint. The program will provide sustainable products and solutions, agronomic counsel, and a digital platform to track and measure sustainability and carbon performance. Nutrien will pilot the program in North America in 2021 to 2022 in the U.S. Corn Belt, Northeast, and other key cropping areas, as well as in some parts of Canada. So very exciting to see yet another ag company doing this carbon program and, you know, just seeing them talk a lot more about sustainability. Well, uh, I don't have a good transition. I suppose you could say this is maybe not the most sustainable bottle, but China has released news of a humongous commercial hog production facility that they are putting up in China. Ashley, do you want to guess how many head of hogs this facility is going to be able to grow? Oh, gosh, you said humongous, but I don't want to go go too high. So I'm just going to say 25,000. Close, but no cigar. This new facility that they are putting up here 
I don't know how well people know Chinese geography, um, but in the Nanyang region of China, they're putting up the world's largest pig farm, which will have spots for some 84,000 sows and their offspring. It's going to be roughly 10 times the size of a typical breeding facility we see here in the United States. It's going to aim to produce about 2.1 million pigs a year, and it is going to be the world's top pork consumer, or excuse me, top pork production facility, and uh, going to be really interesting to see being built. It's going to cost about 40 billion yuan to build this new facility, which I don't know what the conversion rate is right now. I think I could check that here pretty fast with my Google machine. Um, but going to be a massive, massive facility. It, I think it'd be cool to see a picture of this facility, too. I've seen some like this before in the past that basically look like huge skyscraper buildings that they raise hogs in. Delaney, you can't see me right now, but my jaw literally dropped when you said that number. I just can't even fathom that many pigs in one place. No, I can't either. Um, I can't imagine the smell and the <laughs> manure you'd have to be cleaning up, but it's going to be a humongous facility. So I'll have to see if I can find a photo of the design plans or anything like that we can share on our social media site. But... One other quick piece of news here, Ashton, I wanted to share before we talk markets for today, we, of course, have the WASD report out later this week, as I mentioned uh, yesterday on our Market Monday episode with Matt Bennett, and it's not expected to be a huge game changer. Um, as far as survey results go, the average ending stocks for U.S. corn is anticipated to be at a one5 Five five billion bushel carryover soybeans at a one point, excuse me, at one hundred and sixty nine million. Um, as far as ending stocks go, corn is anticipated to be at a two hundred and seventy eight million bushel carryover. Soybeans at an eighty one million. And yeah, that's pretty much a little gloss over there of that topic, but not anticipated to be any sort of a huge game changer as of this point, but you never know what the USDA is going to do. They always throw things at us last minute here. So seems like the trade's getting all uh, squared up ahead of that report. We saw grains pull back again today, especially in the soybean markets, or it's really going to take some sort of dramatic news, it seems like, from South America to pull us out of this funk we're seeing in the soybean markets. But Ashton, what do you say we hop right to it? Let's do it. All right. And as I mentioned, pullbacks today across the board as the March corn contract shed four and a quarter cent to close at 419 and three quarters the December down two and a half to close at 408 and a half. Soybeans major pullbacks today as a January contract shed 12 and three quarters cent to close at 1145 and three quarters the March down 11 to close at 1151 and a half. In the wee pits, Chicago December contract, excuse me, March contract pulling back seven and a half cents to close at 570 to December 2021 down seven to close at 587 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock pits mixed trade today as the December February live cattle contract shed 25 cents to close at 110.77. The April down 22 and a half to close at 114.92. 
In feeder cattle, as I mentioned, mixed trade here. The January contract shedding 22 cents to close at 137.57. The March up 35 to close at 138.50. And in lean hogs, green across the screen as the February contract adding 65 cents today to close at 65.60. The April up 32 to close at 69.22. And rounding out our markets to the class three dairy milk futures. January down 10 today to close at 16.05. The February down five to close at 16.78. And without further ado, Ashton, let's kick it over to our conversation with Amos Peterson of FairPro. Well, for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, getting a little update from Amos Peterson at FairPro, who we've had on the podcast, but it has been quite some time. Amos, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Eleni. So, since we've had you on before, but we've got some new listeners since then, give us the 10,000-foot view about FairPro and how you got started in the swine tech industry. Sure, sure. So uh, FairPro started back in 2016. Uh, we were looking at uh, ways to help the, the pork industry and settled on reducing pre-wean mortality as a primary driver for um, – for increasing productivity. Uh, some of the ways that we were looking at doing that included, you know, uh, getting the sow up off of the piglet. It, the sow, sows can crush piglets in the fairing room. And so that was, uh, I think that's about half of all pre mortalities driven by that. But then um, we looked a little bit deeper into the problem and it was apparent that the environment is the biggest factor. So suboptimal thermal environments are the biggest factor in uh, pre-wean mortality. So we really just took that to mean that we needed to create a better environment for the piglets. And so uh, we took that, uh, we took that through the accelerator and uh, developed it, iterated a few times. And then we also came to the conclusion that once we've earned our way in, with a better environment for the piglets, and this this was through the Haven, our microclimate uh, controlled unit, uh, we were able to reduce premium mortality by over 20%, which was a big win. Then we also had the opportunity to pick up uh, data, behavior data, um, activity data about the animals themselves. And so it really became, I would say, precision livestock farming product. And that's where we are right now. We're, we're turning on things like uh, visual weighing, uh, behavior analysis, uh, counting, um, really cool things that will help close the back loop and add uh, track and traceability into an area that really hasn't hasn't benefited from it yet. With the launch of FairPro back in 2016, you guys have been through a lot of changes. Tell us about some of those changes you might have experienced since we last had you on, which I think was in 2019. Was it 2019? Okay. It seems like it. I don't know. It's hard to keep track. So 2019, uh, that was a big year. We we uh, launched pilots with our uh, with the Haven, and we started working on the Smart Haven which is this uh, precision livestock farming platform and uh, you know, got that turned on getting communications online um, and then really looking at other ways to help uh, modify the environment in in the farrowing room. So 
we, for instance, we're using ultraviolet light. So we use a, a specific kind of infrared to warm the animals up and keep their core body temperature and the safe stone. And, you know, we thought about other ways that we can take, you know, kind of the products of sunlight that are beneficial to animals and reintroduce them into the indoor uh, indoor raising operations. And ultraviolet light in a specific frequency generates vitamin D in humans and pigs. And so that was another um, that was another kind of extensible technology from the Haven that we started working on. And we just received some information from studies that we're doing that it is there are indications that we are able to supplement vitamin D through LED lights. So that would be, you know, in addition to that, that core technology piece. Um, and then, you know, 2020 was a little bit of a wash. I think, you know, we were, we had, um, we had some really good data coming out in April that showed this massive reduction in pre wound mortality uh, through Carthage uh, veterinary service research arm that came out in April. And I think that was also the month that all the Packers shut down. So, mm-hmm. you know, we went from, Oh boy, you know, six or seven very large integrators in the funnel, um, you know, looking at trials and then everyone just kind of hit pause. So, uh, you know, we went actually went back to R and D. So since 2019, you know, we were, we were really thinking about launching the Haven and smart Haven and pushing sales well, sales became sales kind of went offline for a little bit. So we went back and looked at our, our tech roadmap and just started, you know, putting extra resources into executing against some of these uh, maybe more over the horizon technologies that we had planned to to include in the Haven. And now we have, you know, we're turning on things like visual tracking and monitoring and uh, and doing some really cool stuff there. And we we're also we have a uh, a platform. Actually, we have a, an HMI, an interface for the Haven that runs on a tablet and allows you to do a lot of these things remotely. So those are the the big steps that we've taken since 2019 and making it more of a smart product for precision livestock farming. So I feel like as we are continuing to advance in agriculture, folks are really in support of these advancements and not so much stemming away from traditional methods, but starting to include more technology advancements on their operations currently. So that being said, what kind of support are you seeing from the industry? Very good support. I mean, really, fundamentally, the question is, is not do you know are they are integrators interested it's you know at what price point and then you know if you're building you know is there infrastructure to support it right so you can build software all you want you can build uh, wireless hardware all you want if you don't have data access where the animals are it's not very valuable so you know, the Haven, um, you know, w- once we started getting into this this area, you know, where people, they're interested in things like average daily gain numbers. They're interested in activity. Of course, telemedicine is, is, is becoming a very large part of what, you know, the future is going to bring for, uh, for uh, 
the protein chain, but you need to have data access where the animals are. So we actually re-envisioned the Haven to be part of that data infrastructure, which is pretty cool. So um, the smart havens that were, are coming out, the new uh, controller module, is also an AP. It's a wireless access point. So you're both controlling the Haven, you know, and you're able to transmit other data, you know, other software programs that you might be running for productivity or dashboards or or so on and so forth, um, just by picking up uh, a connection to a Haven. And um, instead of transmitting that back to the office and back to the internet wirelessly, because wireless is very, very finicky in Barnes, we're, um, we're making advances in power line communication, which allows you, like you have uh, sort of like a Wi-Fi extender, range extender that you would plug into the wall uh, we're just hopping right on the power rails and then um, utilizing that power infrastructure instead of going wireless. So it's an it's an enabling technology for others, and uh, you know, we found a way to you know address kind of a gap in the technology that um, you know we needed to fill and that others you know other technologies can then write on top of as well. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, is- yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Amos. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I think once once the possibilities are there, you know, the probability that uh, farmers will make use of these, I guess you could say, like fourth industrial revolution type technologies is greater. Yeah, absolutely. And it's exciting to see stuff like this develop. But I want to switch tracks here just slightly and talk a little bit more about um, the Cultivation Corridor, which checking out your Facebook and social media pages, you guys do quite a bit with that aspect as well. Can you give us just, again, a big overview of what America's Cultivation Corridor is and how you guys participate within that? Yeah, well, America's Cultivation Corridor is a great advocacy group. Uh, they, they've connected us with a lot of resources that have, uh, you know, have allowed, have allowed us to, you know, make connections to, um, you know, whether it's other industry or, you know, potential customers, but, you know, they've, they've really been strong advocates for, uh, what Iowans can do and, you know, the notion that you don't need to, you don't need to go to the coasts to participate in a tech field, you know, and you can, you can stay right here, participate and leverage the strengths that Iowa has naturally, you know, a uh, very fertile soil, massive agriculture and, you know, bring your tech expertise to bear in, in that way, you know, and that, and that's really what we've been all about, you know, from the beginning. So they've been great partners. Well, we're certainly glad to hear that things are going well over there. And for those folks that want to keep up with the advancements that you guys are doing and follow along with your story, where can they find you guys at on social media? Uh, social media, it's uh, yeah, it's just FairPro on Facebook. And I'm probably the wrong guy to ask about social media. I'm usually in, in my office or in the lab. But uh, I think yeah, we have Facebook and we have Twitter. I think it's just at FairPro, F-A-R-O-P-R-O. And then you can always 
you know, follow along. Uh, we're actually giving our website a makeover. So uh, there will be a lot more, you know, sort of uh, social postings and, and news updates and things uh, pushed out just directly via our website in the coming months. Well, awesome. Thank you again, Amos, for coming on the podcast once again to tell us about FairPro. Anytime. Thanks, Ashley. Well, again, a big thank you there to Amos for joining us and giving us a quick update on what they're working on over there. Ashton, we've always got updates like that happening on the podcast, though, don't we? We sure do. And folks can listen to them on the Ag News Daily website at agnewsdaily.com. And if they want to update us on anything else that's going on in agriculture, they can hit us up on social media on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.